Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Glad you're joining me on this episode. If we have not met before, my name is John Whitaker. I am the host and creator of the Bible in Life. And my heart, my goal is to provide just real clear, down-to-earth Bible teaching that helps us follow Jesus on a regular basis. I like to call it, call it blue jeans theology. And by that, I mean Bible teaching theology that's in the language of everyday life, rooted in the context of everyday life, to help us follow Jesus in the midst of our everyday life. So glad you're joining me. And before we jump into the content of this episode, just a couple notes to point out. One is uh, the other podcast that I uh, host and create is called The Listener's Commentary. If you have not uh, checked that one out, that is where I actually just teach straight through books of the New Testament, just like a commentary where I'm taking it paragraph by paragraph and laying out um, what each paragraph is about, kind of working through it verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. So that's the listener's commentary. I have 20 New Testament books done, seven more to go uh, before I have the whole New Testament done. So I would encourage you to check that out if you want some help uh, either studying the Bible for yourself or using it to prepare Bible studies, using it to uh, teach other people the Bible and some of that. So listenerscommentary.com, check that out uh, there. You can also find that on your podcast player as well. Also, just a reminder, don't hesitate to shoot me your questions for me to explore on the podcast and think about what the Bible says about maybe things you're wrestling with, things you're wondering about. Uh, it can be a specific Bible question. It could be a question uh, just about something you're wrestling with in life and you want to know if the Bible has any uh, guidance or wisdom for you on it. And so don't hesitate to shoot me that. You can just email me those questions at john at johnwhitaker.net. I love seeing your questions, and sometimes I'll reply directly by email. Sometimes I'll just hold those questions until I decide to do a Q&A podcast here on The Bible and Life, so feel free to shoot me those. And one last thing, and that is that uh, I have that Bible in Life ebook on my website at johnwhitaker.net, so Bible in Life ebook, and it's completely free. Just put in your name and your email address. It gives 10 practices for really engaging with Scripture, five for understanding it, five for applying it, really helping you think through how you can dig in and learn and live the Bible for yourself. So it's completely free. Uh, feel free to share that. I actually have gotten an email from uh, someone who who's in Australia that teaches at a Christian high school and shares that ebook with his students. And so feel free to share that, direct people to the website so they can uh, get it directly from there as well and uh, pass that out. Let, let the people use it. I believe it could be really helpful to, to you digging in and learning the Bible for yourself. All right, let's jump into the content for today's episode. And what we have been doing on the podcast over the last handful of weeks is we have been exploring just some snapshots from the book of Acts and reflecting on those snapshots. What do we learn from them about following Jesus in our context? And on this episode, I want to focus out of really two different snapshots that force us to think about how do we communicate the gospel in a pluralistic age? In an age where there are various religions, various religious views and opinions, um, various um, approaches to God, to Jesus, to the Bible, to life, right? How do we communicate the gospel in that sort of context? And the reality is you and I meet people with all sorts of different opinions and backgrounds who, who 
don't yet follow Jesus and don't know about Jesus, or maybe kind of know about Jesus, but not really know about him super well, we meet people like that all the time. And so it's not uncommon to people who are completely ah religious. They, they, they don't really have any sort of religious thoughts or backgrounds or opinions. You know, if you pressed them, they might come up with a thought or two, but the way they live their life, completely ah religious, no religion whatsoever. We meet people who maybe are opposed to religion and somewhat hostile to it. We meet people who maybe at some point uh, went to church and grew up maybe in a Christian family, but they've walked away from that. So they've got some understanding, but maybe they've got some hurt. They've got some questions behind that. We meet people who, who went to um, maybe some other sort of religious organization that wasn't Christian growing up and they've rejected religion altogether. We meet people across the spectrum how do you communicate the gospel to all those different kinds of people? And when I was in Bible college, one of the classes I had to take was just called personal evangelism. And it was basically about how to use your life to, to share the gospel with other people. And one of the things that was quite common in that particular class, as well as in trainings at churches in those days, was to give you sort of like a set of materials that you could use. And there were various types of these materials. Here's a plan for sharing the gospel, or here's a curriculum you can use to share the gospel. Um, and that actually, while it has some value, is not completely helpful, particularly in a world where you have people from all these different backgrounds. I think that's the main thing I want us to reflect on as we look at these snapshots from the book of Acts. Maybe in a day and age where um, the vast majority of people at least had some religious understanding, some biblical understanding, some church background or church understanding, maybe having a kind of a set template was helpful. But in a pluralistic age, I think we need greater flexibility than that. And we see that in Paul's ministry. So let's start in Acts chapter 17. And midway through the chapter, uh, Paul leaves a town called Berea, and he travels from Berea down to Athens in Greece. And while he's in Greece, he's uh, just, you know, traveling through the city, walking through the city, um, getting to know the city. And he realizes is that there's there's shrines and temples and altars all over the city, so much so that he even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown god. Just in case the Athenians had missed any gods, they wanted to make sure they covered all their bases, so they even set up an altar to an unknown god. And uh, that really struck Paul. Well, in the course of time, as Paul was there and trying to teach people and reach people with, for the gospel there in Athens, he actually got, got brought before the Areopagus, uh, the kind of ruling body of the city. And he's brought before these leading men of the city. And this is what he says to them. Let me read, picking up in verse 22. It's his famous Sermon on Mars Hill. In fact, if you go to Athens today, um, there on the uh, hillside that leads up to where the Areopagus met and to uh, Mars Hill, there's actually a transcript of this little sermon here from Acts 17. And so here's Paul speaking to the leading men of the city. And he says, men of Athens, 
I see that you are very religious in all respects. Shrines, altars, temples, all over the place. Um, in fact, one ancient writer actually said it's easier to find a god in Athens than a person because they had so many uh, idols and altars and shrines set up. So I see that you're very religious in all respects. And Paul acknowledges that, not derogatorily, not putting them down, just very honestly. It's obvious that you're very religious. In fact, he says, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So he points out this thing that uh, this altar in the city and says, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I come to proclaim to you. So he picks up with their own unknown God. And I want to introduce you to him. And then he says, who he is. He says, the God who made the world, he's the creator and everything that's in it. Since he's Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't dwell in all these temples made with human hands and all these shrines. That's not where he dwells, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, right? He doesn't need you to bring him food and drink. He doesn't need you to provide for him. He doesn't need anything like that. He's not deficient in any way because he gives life and breath to all things. And he made from one person every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. And then he actually quotes from one of their writers, a famous Athenian poet. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are all his descendants. And so he references a line from one of their own kind of Greek poets. Uh, Therefore, since we are the descendants of God, we ought not to think of the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by human skill and thought, So having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to people everywhere that they should repent because God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. Now, at that point, they scoff at the resurrection of the dead, their platonic philosophy, you know, kind of thought that was an awful idea. And so, but some were curious and led to some conversation. And that's how Paul to the leading men there in Athens, presents the gospel to them. Now, what I find fascinating is comparing that, say, with an earlier occasion where Paul uh, shares the gospel um, in the book of Acts, and it's on his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. And in this case, it sounds very, very different. And this is important for us to observe. And so there in Athens... Uh, to a pagan city with pagan shrines, pagan altars set up. Paul starts with their religiosity, their uh, fear that they may have missed out on a God and wants to introduce him to him. He mentions God as creator and then leads up to Jesus and his resurrection. But in Acts chapter 13, Paul in that chapter on his first missionary journey is in the city of Pisidian Antioch. So Antioch of Pisidia, which is in the center of modern day Turkey. And Paul's in a synagogue. That means he's around not pagans, but Jews and perhaps Gentile God-fearers. That is uh, Gentiles who have said, you know, we want to believe in the God of Israel. And so in that case, here's what Paul does. Paul says this, men of Israel, So not men of Athens, men of Israel. We're not in Israel, but they would identify as Israelites. They're Jews, right? And you who fear God, that is 
uh, Greek or Gentile God fears. Listen to this. And then he proceeds to give his message. He says, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during this stay, their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. Notice the beginning point. The beginning point here is very different than the beginning point in Acts 17. Acts 17, it was with all their shrines and altars and unknown God and creation. Here, it's with God's activity in Israel's history, uh, hearkening back to um, the fact that God is the one who called them to himself and God is the one who delivered them during the exodus in Egypt. And so he begins from there. And he actually recalls their history. He recalls uh, the wanderings for 40 years, uh, how he led them into Canaan and distributed them amongst uh, uh, the land as an inheritance. And he even mentions how long that all took. He picks up then with Samuel, right? He gave them judges clear up until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And so he reviews their history um, all the way from the Exodus up to King David. And then picking up in Acts 13, verse 22, he says, after he had removed him, that is Saul, King Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do my will. And from the descendants of this man, according to God's promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus Christ. And so he fast forwards from David all the way up to Jesus because uh, it is it is the the promise to David that there's going to be a king on his throne and that king is going to be a great deliverer in David's line. And Jesus fulfills that promise. And so he reviews their history up to David, uses that to springboard into Jesus. And then he recounts the ministry of Jesus. And then he actually goes up and describes what happened in Israel with Jesus and his ministry and his execution under Pilate. And then he quotes scripture to them. He says that God fulfilled this promise um, to those who are of the descendants by raising Jesus from the dead, as it's written in the second Psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, never again to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and faithful mercies of David. Therefore, as he says in another Psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. Um, And then he wraps up the sermon once again. And so notice he ends at the same point. Jesus and his resurrection. But here he grounds the resurrection in the fulfillment to the promises of to David, and he quotes scripture for it. But there's no scripture in Acts 17 when he's preaching in Athens. But when he's preaching in the synagogue to Jews, there is scripture. Why the difference? And here's the really important lesson for us to pay attention to, that uh, Paul takes his audience where they're at and leads them to Jesus from there. And he tailors his message based on his audience. In both cases, he arrives at the same place, Jesus and his resurrection. That's the heart of the message he wants to get to when he shares the gospel. That's what he shares, which that in itself is instructive to us. For too long, we've turned the gospel into something about how to get our sins forgiven and go to heaven when we die, when it's really about Jesus is king and he's calling all people to loyalty to himself. That's the key thing. And Paul arrives at both uh, in both sermons at that point with Jesus being raised from the dead as Lord and King. But he gets there by very different routes, depending on who he's talking to. So 
In Acts 13, when he's talking in the synagogue to Jews and God-fearers, he starts with their scriptures and their history and their story and the promises to David, and he quotes scripture. But in Acts 17, they don't know any of that. They don't respect the scriptures. They don't know the scriptures. They don't have any of that. So he starts with their shrines and their altars, and instead of quoting scripture, he quotes one of their own prophets. And this illustrates Paul's incredible skill at communicating the gospel. In fact, I think it's probably one of the reasons why God chose him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He's a deeply Jewish man, grew up as a Pharisee, uh, rooted deeply in the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish traditions, and yet he grew up in um, Tarsus, was at least raised for part of his life in the city of Tarsus, which was a Greek university town. And so he's comfortable with Greek culture and Greek learning and Greek education as well. And he's able, therefore, to tailor his message depending on his audience. And that's the lesson I want us to really see from this, that Paul doesn't just have a one-size-fits-all approach to sharing the gospel. To people who don't uh, know the scriptures, he doesn't use the scriptures. Why would he? They don't view them as authoritative. They don't see them as beneficial. And so he starts with what they know and what they believe and where they're at and works from there. And we really should learn the same sort of approach. And so to somebody who maybe has a church background but isn't currently following Jesus, we start at one place with them. To somebody who has virtually no church background, no religious background, we're going to have to start at a different place. I remember a number of years ago, um, a, a, a friend of mine, somebody I'd known for years, showed up at church um, that where I was preaching with her new husband, and she hadn't been really walking with the Lord, now was getting back into it. This guy, her new husband, he had zero church background. We're talking like he knew nothing. Um, he had z- absolutely zero church background. You could tell his first Sunday there, he wasn't sure he wanted to be there, right? He had his dark glasses covering his eyes. Uh, he had a stonewall look on his face, arms crossed, all the body language, all indications that she drugged me here. I don't want to be here. I'm doing it to placate her. But then he stuck around and he came back another week and he came back another week. And eventually I asked him if he wanted to uh, go get something to eat at some point and just get to know each other a little bit and uh, learn more. And we did. And that led to a conversation specifically about Jesus and the gospel. He was like, I don't know anything about any of this. Like, like I, I couldn't have told him that he was a sinner and needed his sins forgiven and have, that, have him expect that to make sense. He didn't even know what sin was. That word communicated nothing to him. He had no background. And so based on where he was at, you're going to have to tailor your message to him. And so I had to, I had to define terms. Um, and I had to uh, help him understand from things that he knew. And he, he understood guilt. He understood wrongdoing. He understood shame. He understood people doing that to him. He understood some of the things he had done, right? And we could start at that place. And eventually he did come to faith in Jesus. He was baptized. Um, and uh, currently he lives in Western Oregon, still walking with the Lord. And praise God for that. Um, someone like that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require backing up the bus and starting the conversation in a different place than, say, somebody else who showed up, that same church where I was preaching, and uh, had, had gone to church in a super ultra-conservative kind of fundamentalist church during his teenage years, had gone to church there, hadn't been to church in about a decade, but he did have some understanding. So it was a totally different conversation with him 
Um, there were some things he needed to unlearn, some things he needed to relearn, uh, some things about grace, right? Um, and and then really the challenge to live out his profession of faith that he made when he was younger, right? And now come back to following Jesus. Totally different kind of conversation. So it just depends where somebody is at. Uh, there's another person I had a conversation with in a, a Chinese restaurant. And she had had some church background again when she was growing up and when she was a teenager, she completely rejected it and now was kind of opposed to it, hostile to it. And this particular gal uh, very clearly had some uh, philosophical training in kind of modern philosophy. She didn't even believe there was such a thing as truth. Well, we had to start at a different place with that one. Um, and we had to at least get her to acknowledge there was truth. Um, and she did. She by the, by the end of our conversation in the Chinese restaurant, she said, "Okay, I'm not talking about that kind of truth, meaning a monetary truth or uh, the color of uh, the chairs we were sitting on in the restaurant or how much our bill was going to be. There's truth about those things." But she and then she came out and admitted, "I mean about like religious or moral truth." Okay, well now we've narrowed down the field of the conversation. We can talk about that. So there is truth. You're just saying in this area you don't think there's truth. Why is that? It's going to be a different conversation. All of that to say that what the Apostle Paul models for us in Acts 17 and Acts 13 is that if we're going to communicate the gospel in a pluralistic age, we have to be willing to, to listen to where people are at. We have to be willing to ask lots of questions. We have to be willing to try to understand where they're coming from before we seek to make them understand the gospel. That's what we have to do. And so we're going to have to really tailor our message and package our conversation based on the person that we are talking to. A one-size-fits-all template for sharing the gospel is going to have to give way to flexibility of saying, okay, I want to get to Jesus and his resurrection. But with this person, I got to start here. And with this person, I can start over here. And with this person, I need to do a lot of questioning and hear where they're coming from and unravel some of their bitterness and frustration towards the church so that we can come back over here. And we're going to have to deal with each person on a case-by-case basis as we seek to share the gospel. Difficult, uh, more work, not as easy, but it's much more effective. And the goal is to lead them all to believe that Jesus is the resurrected king Lord of heaven and earth, and in his mercy and grace, he extends complete amnesty to any and everybody, and he's calling everybody to loyalty to himself. And so as we seek to share the gospel with the people around us, I hope and pray that we will be deeply relational in how we do that, and we'll really take a genuine interest in the person we're listening to, and we'll try to figure out what's the best way to communicate who Jesus is to this person with their questions, their background, their struggles, and their needs. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. This podcast, as well as the entire Bible and Life ministry that includes the listener's commentary and a number of the other things that I do, is made possible by the generosity of people just like you. So thanks a ton to each and every one of you who supports this this ministry and helps spread the word of God in uh, various ways through your generous support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so by going to johnwhitaker.net, click the Give button, and it will redirect you to my page on World Family Missions website. From there, you can uh, click a button to set up a one-time or a recurring monthly donation. So thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you for it. I look forward to talking with you again next week.